0: these shoes it yeah, feels like I can use one more summer before I grow up. So please save my hand and let's press rewind. We can light up the sparks in our eyes. Let's just be stupid for one more night. But we dance under tangent sky. Hello and welcome to episode two hundred and twenty of section one thirty-eight. I'm your host, Mark Collie. As always, joined by Bryson Poza, and I mean, we have a lot going on right now, so let's just start with the number one thing. Um, I'm on the road. I am, for my day job, covering the Niagara 22, 2022 Canada Summer Games, so I'm not in a normal location. Different mic, different backdrop. The second thing is we're having technical difficulties, so I'm recording for my phone, for the Zoom, for the YouTube, um, the audacity, the audio for our podcast should still remain the same and then the third thing is we are without jacob and we're going to be without jacob for the next two to three weeks because he is going on vacation um and he won't have access to internet or his laptop so watch to him back there bryson how are you doing I'm doing
1: good I think you covered all of the basics of course the big news about Jacob being on a hiatus for a couple weeks so we will miss him there and on top of everything going on in terms of I guess you in particular behind the scenes it was pretty crazy weekend I think for the Jays in terms of this series so we got lots to talk about on that and let's hope that uh, everything goes smoothly here for this next 45 minutes to an hour
0: we are at war with technology As things stand now, so hopefully we win by the end of this podcast. Um, Yeah, just to put it out there, all things considered, what's going on right now, I didn't watch much of this series. Um, I followed the highlights. I obviously wish I watched more of it because it was a lot of good baseball by the sounds of it and by the highlights that I saw, but I didn't watch every single moment, and I wish I had. Um, Bryson, let's start with the play that everyone was talking about today, the play at the plate with Gary Sanchez and Whit Merrifield sliding in and overturning and essentially changing the course of the game. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about this because as someone who didn't watch the full game and is somewhat emotionally removed from this scenario, I think I may actually disagree with the decision to overturn the call. So I'm interested in seeing whether you agree with this or whether you totally disagree with this and Odds are you can probably change my mind because, again, I didn't see this live. I'm not emotionally attached to the result. But here's my argument. First things first, this is, by and large, a judgment call. And, like, yes, there is a definitive line of this guy standing in the base path and blocking the guy's path to the plate. But it's not as black and white as, say, a safe call at first base or a strike, even though you can't, you know, replay those calls, but it's not as black and white as that. So in my mind it's a judgment call. The second thing is I think the players should be the ones on the field determining who wins and loses. I don't think it should be an umpire. in any case, whether it's calling balls and strikes, whether it's inserting your yourself into the game like Angel Hernandez or Joe West always does, the players should be deciding the game. and I think it was interesting that in a play that had the potential to decide what happened in this game, that Major League Baseball did make a decision on a judgment call. That doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. I think, yes, you look at the video and it's obvious. Gary Sanchez has a one foot over the base path. Whit Merrifield has nowhere to go but through him. Gary Sanchez doesn't have the ball at that moment. Everything lines up to call it by the book. But to me, the idea of umpires making these decisions makes me a little bit uncomfortable. So I guess saying I disagree with this call is maybe a little bit harsh. Uh, I just find it really fascinating that Major League Baseball took this step when I really didn't think they would. I didn't expect it to happen that way because I thought they would play it safe and not overturn a call on the field made in what I consider to be a judgment call.
1: Yeah, uh, first things first is I was shocked uh, when they overturned this call. Now, no matter if I agreed with it or not, basically my initial reaction, Mark, was when it happened – Immediately, first of all, Whit Merrifield immediately was pointing at, I guess, Gary Sanchez's leg and making a case for, I guess, that he believed that Gary Sanchez was blocking the plate from him. And then, of course, maybe from my perspective, just because of obviously being a Blue Jays fan and maybe a lot of other people, um, I kind of saw it beforehand in terms of, I guess, just the lane blockage. But the thing is, even if he was blocking the plate, let's just say he definitively he was without question. It just It's one of those calls where it's very rarely overturned um, from when it's, I guess, just reviewed, and you were talking about it. It just feels like it's more than black and white. It just seems like it's a very complicated play, and for those plays, it's very hard for it to overturn. So as much as I thought at the time it was blocking the plate, I didn't expect it to be overturned for those reasons. Um, the, the rule itself is very odd, because basically a catcher is allowed to be in, I guess, just in the lane towards home plate if the throw brings him there. That's the rule about that because obviously about, I don't even know, years ago, that's when they actually officially changed the rule in terms of you can't definitively block the plate from a runner sliding home. So that was already established. The problem was is that there just didn't seem like there was a... A consistent call for it. It just again, it's very difficult to overturn. And I think that's probably why Rocco Baldelli was complaining and pretty much throwing a fit the way he was. And after the game, he pretty much said the same thing that this is a play that's never really been overturned before. So you can kind of understand, I guess, where the twins were coming from. But because Gary Sanchez got the ball even before I guess he dropped his leg. Like if he doesn't drop his leg or if he stays if he gives Whit Mirafield the path to the plate he's out to, like he's out for sure he got the he he caught the ball way before he began sliding or just when he began sliding and it just didn't seem like it was very close but the key factor there was that he did drop his leg and it just seemed like Whit Mirafield's legs were maybe they were blocked a little bit from it, uh, hitting home plate so at the time i kind of did think it was um, blocking, or like just a violation, but again, that could just be me being a fan or whatnot, but it just, I tried doing my best to kind of take that out of the picture, and kind of seeing where he was coming from, because again, immediately he was doing this, and after the game, and pretty much in the post-game interview, Whit Mirafield pretty much said right away that, you know, he blocked the plate for me, you can't do that, those are the rules, and he was very definitive and very confident that that's exactly what happened, so It's just, again, very rare for one of these plays to overturn. Really, the only kind of plays that you see constantly overturn are plays at first base, like you were talking about, the black and white plays. This was something that it just felt like, even if Whit Merrifield was right, even if Gary Sanchez was blocking the plate, probably wouldn't be enough to overturn. And um, this game was important for the Blue Jays in particular. I mean, you, you saw it, if they don't get that run... They likely don't win this game. They likely drop through to four to the Twins. And of course, you look back on the way they lost Friday in extra innings. This game was very meaningful and very important to them to have. So that's why even with the call overturn and how the Jays won this game, this was a game that they desperately needed. They caught a break. I guess it's OK that they caught a break, but it's just pretty crazy, I guess, in terms of what happened there uh, in the 10th inning. I wasn't I was I wasn't shocked that Whit Merrifield thought he was blocking the plate from him. I kind of understood the case, but again, I was shocked that Major League Baseball actually overturned this play along with I think pretty much everybody else watching this game, even if they agreed
0: or disagreed with the call. Yeah, I think saying I I guess for me to say I disagree with the decision to overturn the call, I think is a bit harsh because like it is the right call to overturn and I'm just really surprised that it actually was overturned on replay review and that's really the only thing I'm surprised about in this entire scenario. Like, I, to be honest, don't really blame Gary Sanchez for going to the plate like that because, yes, you're a Major League Baseball catcher. Yes, you should be able to discern the tiniest of differences. But you think about it, it is really only one or two feet left or right. And that's the difference when it comes to this play, when it comes to whether field is safe or out on replay. That's what it comes down to in this scenario. So I I'm not shocked that Gary Sanchez made that mistake. I'm not shocked Whit Merrifield was upset with it. I'm not shocked Rocco Baldelli threw the fit that he did on the field. And, you know, even in his post-game press conference, he said, quote, it's one of the worst moments I think we've seen of umpiring in any game I've ever been a part of in baseball. I think it was pathetic. That's a direct quote from Rocco Baldelli. And I'm not surprised by that because, again, I think the only surprising thing in this scenario is that the call was overturned in the first place. That is what I'm surprised about. Again, I think saying that I disagree is a little bit harsh because it is the right call for the umpires in the replay review room in New York to make. I'm just really surprised that it happened. And of course, the other comparison that a lot of people are bringing up is that there was a play earlier today. I think it was the Orioles game where there was a similar play at the plate and a similar series of events and... Maybe it was more obvious in that scenario, but maybe this is a bigger trend that we're starting to see with Major League Baseball, or maybe it's just a coincidence that it both happened on the same day. I don't know, but certainly a lot of things to unpack there, a lot of fun. And, um, you know, to quote Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, we are officially done with boring baseball for the Blue Jays. Like, from this point forward, really from the trade deadline forward, there's no such thing as boring baseball for the Blue Jays anymore because it is go, go, go all the time. Every play is going to matter from this point out, so... Lots of fun. Lots of fun to unpack. Again, I wish I was watching live and could unpack that with you then. And, of course, have our live reactions as we always do. But um, the next thing I guess we need to talk about is... I, I think the biggest story from this week, aside from the actual games themselves, is the injuries that the Blue Jars are dealing with. The last time we recorded was right after the trade deadline has passed. Literally minutes after the trade deadline since then, Ross Stripling has gone to the injured list, George Springer has gone to the injured list, and then after last night's game, we saw Tim Mazza go to the injured list with it was a dis- dislocated right shoulder, I think was the official injury. So between the time we last recorded and now, the Blue Jays have seen a significant change in their roster due to injuries, and to me, it comes at the worst possible time because you're at a point in the season where maybe for the first time all year, you actually have a chance to gain ground on the Yankees. The Yankees just got swept by St. Louis. It's the first time St. Louis has swept the Yankees in baseball history. And to think of how long those two franchises have been around, I know interleague play, et cetera, et cetera, that's quite the stat. In addition to that, since the All-Star break, I believe the Yankees, the last time I saw the stat, are 6-10 and 10 over that span. They are playing 500 baseball over the last month, and as much as I said, you know, almost a week ago at the trade deadline that the Blue Jays didn't do enough to pass the Yankees, we're starting to see chinks in the Yankees' armor and areas that the Blue Jays can take advantage of and gain ground on them, and just to tie this all back into the injury thing— It's frustrating that at the moment the Yankees start showing weaknesses and at the moment that you think the Blue Jays may have an opportunity to overtake them or at least gain ground on them in the American League East race is when the Blue Jays are suffering from injuries. So that's frustrating to me. Again, injuries doesn't mean that the Blue Jays are going to be terrible. It doesn't mean that they can't gain ground on the Yankees. It just makes it less likely. And, um, you know, the last thought I have on this is just that As much as we criticize the Jays' trade deadline for not being enough, the moves that they made all fit perfectly with what they underwent over the past week in terms of injuries. Ross dribbling to the IL, well, good. You got Mitch White to fill in in his spot on the rotation. Um, Tim Mesa to the IL, well, good. You got Anthony Basson. Zach Pop to fill in. And then George Springer to the injured list. Oh, what do you know? Whit Merrifield's on this team just start center field every day. So um, in that sense, looking at the Blue Jays trade deadline in retrospect, you're happy they made those deals. Still not enough, but um, it's already paying off for the Blue Jays so far. It absolutely is. And that that's why as
1: much as I guess my overall opinion on the deadline was very similar to yours, maybe be, just... I guess because what you're explaining about how these moves have helped them, I guess over the last couple of days, maybe I've warmed up to the deadline a little bit, but again, nothing too major to swing my opinion. But it was funny when you were bringing up the Yankees. I mean, I just, I, there was a funny tweet today about, I guess, just. The trade deadline, pretty much what happened with them, and of course, like you were talking about, they've been 500 since pretty much the month of July. July, they were 13-13. and 13. This weekend, they get swept by the Cardinals. And may I add, this is the first time in, I can't remember how long, where it is now a single game lead in terms of them in the division. The Jays are now... games back. So despite the Jays not making up as much ground as they could on the Yankees, they still did some damage over the course of the last couple weeks, which is good, I guess. But in terms of the Yankees, it's funny because they miss out on Luis Castillo. He shuts them down with the Seattle Mariners. They trade away Jordan Montgomery. He shuts them down as well. It was last night in the Saturday game, which was also uh, an interesting trade from that. They trade for Frankie Montas, who gets shelled today. That was the tweet today where he gives up six runs in. I think it was just three innings to play. So, They exactly aren't playing good. I know another guy in terms of in the rotation, Jamison Tyone, is another guy who's kind of regressed a bit over the last couple of weeks. So you are seeing some cracks with them. We had a feeling that this was eventually going to cool off for them in terms of their momentum. Will it be enough for them to lose the lead in the AL East? I don't know. That's still a lot of games to make up in the month of August, nine and a half games. But you are seeing them. You're seeing their weaknesses perhaps they're cooling down and in terms of I guess the direction they're heading and you definitely don't want to be cooling off like they have been as you get closer to the end of the season so we'll see how long that lasts for but we're not complaining from our side and you're going and going back to the deadline with all the injuries yeah I mean Mitch White steps in on the Saturday game for Ross Stripling Uh, I don't know how much of a head start they had on the Ross Stripling I guess injury news because of course this pretty much happened a day after the trade deadline so I assume they had an idea that something was coming in terms of him um, or in terms of his injury. And I guess just the feeling or the the good chance, the likely chance that he was going to be going on the injured list from what he did. I think it was with his hip. So we don't know how long he's going to miss. Hopefully it's not too long. But Mitch White is exactly... I guess, just somebody similar to what Ross Stripling does in terms of somebody that can start and somebody that can come out of the bullpen. He did his job in terms of going four and two-thirds, allowing three-run runs. Maybe he could have finished the inning. Of course, that third run was an inherited run allowed from when Tim Mesa came into the game. So for the most part... I was fine with how he performed. Again, the expectations aren't through the roof, and you're also expecting him to give you a decent amount of innings, four and two-thirds. It's pretty much close to five innings. I had no issue with what he did on that one. And of course, George Springer's the next injury. It just feels like... We had an idea that this was coming. Of course, the Whitmerfield trade makes a lot more sense now, also knowing that he did get vaccinated even prior to the trade deadline. So this seemed like this was a decision that the Jays wanted Whit Whitmerfield to speak on personally because, of course, throughout the days of the trade deadline recap, when Ross, uh, Ross Atkins sorry, was pretty much just announcing that, you know, it's up for discussion. he can discuss it with his family. Uh, we wouldn't have made the move if we didn't think that he was gonna do it. It was just turned out that this was all in terms of buying time for him to be able to report to the team and finally make the announcement himself. but anyways, he was insurance on that one. Uh, he Exactly for Whit Mirafield, he hasn't had the greatest season compared to what he's been doing in the past couple of years. But, of course, uh, a lot of people have made the case that he's actually been playing better than what his numbers have shown. And, of course, even if that's not the case, even if he just hasn't been playing good overall, he still provides some good, uh, just some good flexibility for the Jays. We know that he's good on the base paths. We know that he can play center field. We know that he can even lead off. And, of course, the leadoff hole right now when George Springer's absence is pretty much being filled by him or Lourdes Gurriel Jr., that's pretty much what we've seen over the last week. So you have that. You can understand the move now that now that he's, of course, got the shot, now that he is insurance for George Springer. It makes so much more sense in terms of taking away at-bats as much as you can from Bradley Zimmer. You saw it today in the extra-inning game on Sunday – Bradley Zimmer was a defensive replacement for Ryan Maltapia. All of a sudden, the Jays have runners on the corners. Whit Merrifield comes on the bench instead of Bradley Zimmer getting an at-bat, even though it didn't turn out to be anything. It's just it's better to have somebody like Whit Merrifield have the option, take away the at bat from Bradley Zimmer, all due respect. And that's why the trade makes a lot more sense. And for Springer, the move, I guess, to the IL also makes sense. I know, Mark, you pitched in on it yesterday to us in our chat that it just seemed like, at this point... He was just, in other words, wasting a roster spot. He would play a game, he would sit for three days, he'd play a game again, and it kind of just seemed like it was a repeat. And when he was playing, he was pretty much just DHing the entire time anyway. So it gives him some time to continue to rest. We know that he got an anti inflammatory shot or something like that or uh, for his elbow so we'll see what happens with that one and we hope that he's back after 10 days I know that's the hope but of course we've heard that before with him so we kind of take that with a grain of salt and we'll see what happens when he comes back the most important thing is for George Springer to be ready for that stretch run near the middle to the end of this month and of course to September and further that to the postseason we need George Springer to be healthy which is why you're fine with it the Tim Meza injury that happened yesterday that was shocking uh, in terms of for me because I didn't realize how much pain he really was in or just how bad the play was until after they showed the pain he was in and after they showed the replay. Because when it happened on the spot... It didn't seem like it was anything too major, but the fact that he couldn't even move his arm, I think, as much as nobody, and of course, me especially, nobody's doctors, in ter- or not a lot of people are, you know, in terms of just trying to categorize an injury when you see it. It just, you had an idea it was going to be something with the shoulder, the amount of pain he was in. He pretty much said today, uh, when he was, I guess, just asked uh, around the team prior to the game, is that he doesn't even remember walking back to the dugout because of all the pain he was in. And now, when you look at it, the lefty depth in the bullpen is a little bit challenged, of course. I know Zach Pop and Anthony Bass made their debuts this weekend. They did pretty good. But for Tim Meza, um, you know, in today's game in particular, there was no lefties because of Tim Meza going on the IL and Trent Thornton uh, rejoining the bullpen. I'm sure that is a short-term thing we know that matt gage is back with the team on the taxi squad so the left-handed depth in the bullpen is definitely going to be tested it's a big loss for tim meza i think he's optimistic from what he said that he can come back near the end of the season the good news is is that he dislocated his right shoulder and it's not his throwing shoulder so we'll see what happens with that one but In terms of the moves that they made for Bass and Pop as well that can kind of relate to Tim Meza just coming out late in the games and just making the bullpen better, taking away what way they throw, you can understand how these moves definitely make it better. You look at today in the Sunday game again. Anthony Bass comes out in the seventh inning, a scoreless inning. You hand things over to uh, Jimmy Garcia in the eighth inning. And, of course, Jordan Romano in the ninth inning in a perfect scenario. You kind of had a sense of where somebody like Anthony Bass will fit in this bullpen. And, of course, Zach Pop made a couple appearances over the weekend as well. In the middle to late innings, despite you know the Jays being down one, being up one, you can kind of have a sense of what their roles will be. And for Tim Meza, um, it just it just to see the amount of pain he was in and to learn it was a dislocated shoulder that's tough on him for somebody who's also having a really good year we know how important he is to this bullpen so the hope is that he can come back at some point this year and these trade deadline moves definitely put them in a much better position for sure
0: yeah it really sucks to see tim Mazer go down like that especially after all he went through with you know that i don't know freak injury is the right word for it but that really bad injury in 2019 where he just threw a pitch and his arm gave out and had to undergo Tommy John. And then even coming back in 2021, I think last year he spent some time on the IL, if I'm remembering correctly. So it it sucks. He's a guy who by all accounts is a good guy in the clubhouse and just can't seem to catch a break when it comes to health and that sort of thing. So it's frustrating. Another freak injury for him. Hopefully he isn't out too long. Who knows? Like I I don't think we have any comparison for this, at least on the blue Jays. Like when was the last time a Jays player dislocated their shoulder and got placed on the IL because like, there's no comparison. Like, I don't think we really have a frame of reference for how, how long it's going to take for him to get back because we've never seen something like this before, at least again on the blue Jays in recent memory. So, um, that'll be interesting to see wishing him the best of luck. Um, The George Springer stuff I think is really interesting because you mentioned it there. I think the Blue Jays should have placed him on the injured list a week ago. At this point, when he is starting one out of five days, you're just wasting a roster spot and it doesn't make sense. And I think Springer holds a lot of clout with this team. I think he has a lot of influence in the clubhouse and by extension on the coaching staff and the managerial staff and the front office. Like I think he exercises a lot of influence on this team and that's not a bad thing. Like he is the $150 man, uh, $150 million man, excuse me. Like the Blue Jays are paying him a lot of money to be the face of the franchise alongside Vladdy and alongside Bo Bichette and he exerts a lot of influence on this team both because of his contract stature and because of who he is as a player, his veteran status, what he's done before, winning with the Astros as much as it may be tainted. He holds a lot of influence on this team. And I think we see that when the rubber meets the road with his injuries. Like we saw this last year with his knee or even before that with, was it his quad or hamstring, the early season injury that he was out with out of spring training. And then he kind of worked. There we go. Quad. He kind of works himself and convinces the Jays staff to bring him back for, what was it, four games against Atlanta. And it doesn't go well. And he goes back on the injured list for a month and a half. And then even when he comes back, the knee injury and all that kind of stuff, he was playing when he wasn't healthy. And what we kept hearing from hearing from the Jays staff was, look, he's just in a lot of pain right now, but it's not actually causing any structural damage. So we're just going to let him play. And I think What we're learning is that if you say to George, it's your decision, George Springer is going to play. So as a front office, as a training staff, as a coaching staff, the Blue Jays need to exercise a little bit of agency and say, bottom line, we still pay your paycheck, and we want you healthy on the field, the best you can possibly be, and we don't want to waste a roster spot by having you sit four out of every five days you're going to the injured list. You're going to spend 10, 15 days there. You're going to get healthy, and you're going to come back, and you're going to tear the league up. I think the the Blue Jays, what we're learning over the past two years is that they just need to step up and tell George Springer, look, we're making this decision for you. Because I think right now, George Springer exercised too much power over the decision of whether he plays or not. And clearly, over the past two years, it has not been the right decision for the Blue Jays.
1: No, and you make a good point on that because... When you, I think last year, and when you want to compare it to last year, it, you really see the, I guess, there's just a lesson that you learned from that last year because you were talking about it. He comes back probably too early to begin with, and then he wasn't even healthy to begin with, and then he goes back again. Um, and then pretty much, I guess, the ankle injury later on in the year, this was also something that he just seemed like he was battling through at some point before the Jays kind of held him back a little bit. So... You carry it over to this year. Uh, the goal this year, and this was something that we all pretty much discussed at the beginning of the year, is if you're going to rest George Springer in no matter what in order to keep him healthy for down the line, then you do that. And I think that's something that even for the rest of the duration of his contract that's going to happen in the next couple of years, this is something that may have to be the norm. This is something that, first of all, we're definitely used to right now, but this is also something that we should probably get used to for the rest of his contract in terms of him... Maybe he just can't go out and play 162 games anymore. We talked about this at the beginning of the year in terms of the amount of games that he's played from season to season. He's done it a few times. I think in 2016 actually is the only year he really did he did this. And then after that, the highest number of games he's played is 140 games. So anywhere around the 120 to 140 game range, I think we're, we call that a success as long as he's healthy. And that is why they need to be as cautious of them as possible. Again, they helped it at the trade deadline in terms of the depth, the insurance for the possibility that this was going to happen. Of course, Whit Merrifield came over here, probably because the front office had an idea of where this was going with George Springer in terms of this elbow injury. As much as it's been nagging him, it clearly is serious if he was playing once every three, four days, and then pretty much on a cycle like that once again and not even fielding whatsoever. I mean, there's been times this year where he swung the bat, he's hurt his elbow. There's been times where he's just thrown the ball, period, from uh, center field and he's hurt his elbow so it needs clearly it needs rest it needs caution caution the rest of the way in terms of that stretch run in the uh, and leading up to the postseason you'd much rather have him play then and of course the key from what you were talking about the difference between this year and last year that they need to do is when he does come back he needs to be healthy and he needs to be you know close as close to 100 as he will be because of course this is something that's going to be even when he does come back, it's going to be with him throughout the rest of the season. But he can be in a much better state coming back resting than he could be what he was doing at his current pace. So that, I think that's all we're fine with. The team is definitely um, in a better position like it was last year once again. The other thing that I gets, gets me a little bit more comfortable is that the team is also seeming to step up a little bit over the course of this since the All-Star break. We know that the team is playing much better. One guy in particular that I guess should get recognition is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at the top of the order. He's been heating up over the last couple of weeks. And despite him being comfortable or not at the second spot, he's been actually better this season Uh Hitting second than compared to hitting third. So that's been something that I've noticed as well in terms of what he's done in his 21 games batting second, the OPS of 984 compared to when he was batting third, uh, an OPS of 851. And of course, the home runs are there too, the power's there. His Numbers in general are just creeping up. You need guys to step up. Uh, we know that Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a guy that's been filling in in the leadoff spot for George Springer, who's also on a hot streak. We know Alejandro Kirk's been good all year, even though he's kind of slumped off a little bit over the past couple of weeks. Teoscar Hernandez has heated up, and he's swapped places with Boba in the batting order. So this team needs to step up. I think they're doing a good job of it right now. Again, the goal is for him to come back when he's ready, midway through this month, into September, is best in, I guess, just in best of a position he can be to play. And even when he does come back, if you need to give him an off day every once in a while or maybe once a series, I don't know what they're going to do, but you have to imagine that there's going to be some sort of load management plan for him when he does g- come back leading into the postseason where you can include Whip Merrifield, where you can include Rymal Tapia, when you can keep at-bats again away from Bradley Zimmer with all due respect. Um, you're in a much better position, and that's why I think there was a learning experience this year or from last year with George Springer in terms of being more cautious this year I'm fine with the move like you were mentioning. He wasn't playing anyway consistently. It really doesn't really change much over what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. So hopefully this uh the shot he took for his elbow gets him better or at least in a better state where he can try and play on consecutive days, and we'll see what happens with that one.
0: You keep saying no disrespect to Bradley Zimmer. I I understand that, and obviously like he's doing his best and he's I I think the problem with Bradley Zimmer is that he is sometimes put into situations that he's not meant for. And what I mean by that is that the Blue Jays keep him around because he's a pinch runner and because he's a defensive replacement in center field. And when we get frustrated with Zimmer, which is easy because his offense is totally non-existent, but we get frustrated at his offense, but that's not why he's on this team. That's not his role on this team. He is a guy to come off the bench and pinch run Or play in center field in the ninth inning. Like that's his job on this team. And when we get frustrated with him, it's when he's doing something that's not his job. So, yes, fully no disrespect to Bradley Zimmer. He's just doing what he was brought here to do. It's only when he's put into situations he's not meant to be in that we get frustrated. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, Blue Jays obviously going to be instituting a heavy workload management system with George Springer once he comes back, which is hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, just to touch on this, because we've been talking about the trade deadline a lot. I'm curious how, if your opinion or how much your opinion about the trade deadline has changed. Because you gave you scored it a C. I gave it a C+. Plus on the day. Again, like half an hour after the trade deadline went down. Given what's happened with the Yankees, given what's happened with these injuries, are you feeling better about the moves that the Blue Jays made? Would you change your score? How are you reassessing the trade deadline now that we're about five days removed from it? I would definitely change it probably upgrade it towards what
1: you did with the c i think now that i've had time to kind of settle in you've seen the new guys arrive again mitch white already filling in for ross Stripling, anthony bass zach pop already making an impact out of the bullpen Whip Mirrorfield pretty much playing every day now and again despite if you agree with it or not scored the winning run today from what they or what they were calling you can see the flexibility that he has you can also play second base you know Another key thing about this, in terms of the infield, is you know a lot of people have also mentioned that just out of I guess another example is that Santiago Espinal is somebody who's been cooled off uh, the last couple of weeks. You can you know if that continues, you can even put Mirrorfield at second base. Uh, the utility that he has, he ha- he has flexibility, which is good on that. And again, on the bases, he's really good. So you've seen the purpose of why they're all here. Um, I definitely think. They are the moves that they I, you know, the moves they did were fine. And, you know, just to re- rephrase and not even rephrase, just to repeat, you know, something that maybe I just want to get make very clear is that they did have a good deadline in terms of getting better at what they needed to do. the The part where it was critical was, is if it was enough. And that was the question because you see other teams, we mentioned it in terms of teams making big moves. Uh, you look at the Minnesota twins. I mean, they made a, a ton of moves for their bullpen in terms of Michael Fulmer, in terms of Jorge Lopez. And of course uh, for the rotation with Trevor Maylee. Um, so or Tyler Maylee, sorry. So you see that they were active. Um, you see again, the Yankees, as much as it hasn't worked out for them in terms of their first start with Frankie Montas, they definitely, made their rotation better and for a rotation right now again with Jameson Tyone kind of struggling Luis Severino on the injury list they don't know when he's going to come back so assuming Montas pitches better I'm sure he will they definitely made a decent move on that part and they got better in terms of that part as well so you know of course the, the, the steal or the steal from the deadline in terms of the highlight was a team like the San Diego or San Diego Padres. You know, I'm not expecting the Jays to unload their roster and kind of match what they did because you also have to be careful about that part. But it just it just still felt like it wasn't enough. However, again, I mean I'm gonna make it clear they did get better. They did make themselves a better team. And maybe it will be enough for them to get to the playoffs and go on a run from there. And we will see on that. But in terms of the grade, I would definitely raise it to a C plus. You know, I don't know if I would change it to a B- minus yet. Again, if everything kind of falls into place throughout the rest of the year and they still are in a really good spot. Maybe. Uh, it's a conversation to revisit at the end of the year, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself and completely change sides on this because I don't think that's fair at all, and I wouldn't even believe myself if I did that. So they're in a really good spot. They were still a first wildcard team when they made these moves. They're still in the first wildcard spot right now. Again, the bullpen is a lot better. You see the Tameza injury. You feel better with having Anthony Ack Pop in the bullpen. For, the, for those reasons, among other reasons, for another option later on in the game and kind of reduce the workload of other guys that you are kind of used to seeing later on, even if they're fit for the role or not. So that's why I think I've definitely warmed up a bit to it. And um, I'm glad with the impact that especially, again, those bullpen arms are making because that was the biggest area of need in terms of uh, strikeouts, in terms of velocity, which Anthony Bass, of course, brings with strikeouts. And, of course, both of them bring with velocity, which is good. And for Whit Merrifield becoming much more important again with George Springer, you have to imagine as well. They would have known that an IL stint was coming with George Springer, which is pretty much what was already discussed in terms of the insurance for why he was here. So overall, I would think that I've definitely warmed up to it a bit. I think I was also, I want to clarify too, I think I especially I was a little too harsh On Mitch White Um, you know a lot of people have made it clear that he has better numbers than Noah Syndergaard this year so I think I got to recognize him for that one and just the option the flexibility that you can use him in I think he could be very beneficial for them in terms of maybe you know going even moving to the bullpen when Ross Stripling gets back we'll see what happens what they do with him with that one but I think I was too harsh on him and I definitely owe him an apology for that so that's why I've warmed up a little bit and um, so far the moves they've made have definitely made this team or put this team in a much better position, of course, uh, with the depth over the last couple of days. And once they do get healthy, you're going to have a lot better just a team in general um, in the bullpen You know, when George Springer gets back and, of course, um, when Ross Stripling gets back and whatnot. So that's why I think
0: that I would definitely raise it a bit to a C+. Plus. You said that uh, a lot of people telling you that uh, Noah Syndergaard had worse numbers than Mitch White – I think it's just that one guy on YouTube, right? He's
1: one of them, but it's also something that I've seen quite often uh, on social media. But yes, the the famous
0: YouTube comment, of course, was definitely
1: (laughs) another reminder. Yes, YouTube comments are great.
0: I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. But yes, YouTube comments are great. We love the feedback. Um, Yeah, if you had raised it more than like half a grade, I would would have thought we had Jacob back on this podcast flip-flopping his hot takes left and right. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I... I don't know. I'm holding steady at a C plus. Uh I thought like everything you said is true. Like the deals and, and we said this at the time, the deals that the Blue Jays made were good. It was just always a question of was it enough to keep up with what these other teams are doing and not just keep up but pick up ground on the Yankees, on the teams that you're gonna run into the playoffs, whether it's the Astros or whether you're gonna be playing the Mariners or the Twins or you know, whoever it might be in that scenario. And our answer was no. It wasn't enough to gain ground on those teams or make up ground on those teams. So um, that's why we were frustrated. I still think that's true. Like, yes, I think the Jays may have gotten a bit lucky in the fact that the Yankees aren't playing well right now. But to me, that doesn't change the fact that they didn't do enough to really make dramatic improvements. And I expect Frankie Montas to be good for them. Um, You know, I expect these guys out of the bullpen. I don't know if um, Trevino, who they acquired, has done well for them in his first couple games but like I expect every single person they got to be good in their role um, Benintendi I know I saw some people comparing him to Joey Gallo after the deal because he wasn't hitting right away and I don't expect that to happen like I expect Benintendi to be good for the Yankees I expect Frankie Montes to be good for the Yankees I expect these guys to perform and that's why I still think what the Blue Jays did isn't enough so I'm holding steady C a C-plus. You see the benefits of the deal the Blue Jays made. You understand why they made those trades in retrospect. And we understood at the time, it's just always a question of was it enough? And I still think the answer is no. So, again, love to be wrong. Love for the Jays to prove us all wrong and make the playoffs and blow us all the way. Um, or I shouldn't say make the playoffs because that's a low bar at this point. You know, get deep into the playoffs, get it to the, the World Series, if I dare mention that on this podcast. But, uh, okay, let's wrap it up. The Jays got three games against the Baltimore Orioles potentially a tougher series than you would expect we all know the Orioles are having a better season than anyone expected although now they're not totally in the same position they were a week ago because they traded Trey Mancini seems like they committed not to winning next this year and instead committed to winning next year further down the line what do you expect from them what's your series prediction
1: yeah, I mean, playing the Baltimore Orioles is no longer a cakewalk, and despite the front office doing what they did, like you were talking about, the players and the coaches, I'm sure, are still committed to getting into the playoffs. They're only two games out. This is a big series coming up, and I think it's bigger than people think. Um, the other thing, too, is despite getting rid of Jorge Lopez, the Orioles have a really good rotation, so if you're going to get hit the Orioles you got to hit the you got to hit the starting pitching before they get to that point. Um, in terms of that, you said it a big three game series coming up. You got Kikuchi, you got Barrios, and sorry, you got Manoa. Then Barrios game two, game three. I'm gonna say the Jays take two out of three on this one. Uh, I think again, they're as much as this weekend was fine in terms of splitting the series. You played a pretty good team uh, in the Minnesota Twins, and you also had the Tampa Bay Rays. So taking their road trip, I was fine with it. And they're still playing at a decent level. The offense definitely, I would think, needs to clean things up and play a little bit better in Baltimore. Um, I know the left field wall kind of changed, so we might see a little bit less home runs than usual. It's the first time we're also seeing the Jays in Baltimore this year. So I'll take
0: two out of three. I'm confident that the Jays can take two from Baltimore. Isn't that wild? that we're halfway through August and this is the first trip to Camden Yards for the Blue Jays like that I don't I can't recall the last time that happened for a division rival for a team that you play 19 times a year you know half of those at the opponent's ballpark so three series at an opponent's ballpark the fact that it's taken this long into August to face the Orioles at Camden Yards shocking but yeah two to three I mean it's an easy choice like the Orioles, you're not going to roll over them. They're not going to roll over at this point in their season, but it should be a series of Blue Jays take, especially given their pitching matchup in the second two games. I know Burrios has been shaky, et cetera, et cetera, but I think he'll be good enough to win against the Orioles. So, yep, two to three. Um, okay, Baltimore Orioles should be a fun one. Uh, as always, you can support our podcast by following us on social media at section 138 Pod. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can also go and give us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, um, which always just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. And we haven't plugged this in a very long time, but we do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash section 138pod. And you can go support us there, get exclusive access to our Discord, where we talk about the Jays and banter between ourselves and... You know, make fun of Jacob for missing three weeks of the podcast. Uh, you can get exclusive access to that, exclusive access to bloopers from episodes, which most of the time is Jacob. Um, you get exclusive access to a bunch of cool stuff. So, Patreon.com/slash Section One Thirty Eight Pod. And quick shout out to our newest Patreon supporter. Um, I mean, Iraq, I guess is how you would say it. Um, he's joined. Our Discord is getting exclusive access to bloopers, so I would highly recommend that you join us and do the same. Um, okay, Baltimore Orioles, we'll see what happens. And we will catch you after this series.